here with the latest episode of Customers Who Click. On today's episode, I spoke with Adam Kitchen of Magnum Monster about email marketing and specifically how brands can make use of behavioral emails. Uh, Adam is the co-founder of Magnum Monster, which provides a fully managed email marketing service for e-commerce brands looking to scale and increase profitability. Emails has always been one of my key focuses um, at all the companies I've been at, you know, from launching the mobile app newsletter at my voucher codes to the uh, triggered flows at Readly, Europecar, and Gamesys. Well, I think it's really important to provide your customers with an incredible experience on-site or, or in-app so they keep coming back to you anyway. Email is without a doubt the most powerful way to bring back customers to your business. There are plenty of opportunities to set up marketing automation, which we'll get into shortly. But if you've done things well, when you send out those larger scale campaigns and newsletters, you'll see a huge influx in sales. Let's hear from Adam about behavioral emails, some key campaigns every business should be sending, biggest mistakes brands make, and what lies ahead. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the podcast. Um, if you could tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background and why you do what you do. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Will. So I'm Adam Kitchen, obviously I'm the co-founder of Magnet Monster. We are an email marketing agency for e-commerce brands. And essentially our core message positioning is we want to help e-commerce brands empower them to become more profitable and reduce their dependency on paid ads. And obviously our niche or positioning is that we use email marketing to achieve this. So my background is I've been a digital marketer 13 years since I was 17. I sort of got involved in the sports nutrition supplement business from a young age. I was a bodybuilder, even though I don't look like one now. And that sort of funneled into a long-term interest in growing e-commerce trends. So doing a bit of email, a lot of social media, and then dabbling around with paid advertising intermittently throughout those years. I lived in Asia the majority of my 20s. And during this time, I was approached by a big Chinese conglomerate who worked with a lot of Amazon brands and had their own private label products in sports nutrition, electronics, and other niches, other industries. And it really stood out to me whilst I was working in China how they were really focused on their own channels. So they were using a lot of software on Amazon to have these personal one-on-one conversations with the customers and consolidating my niche when I came back to the UK it made logical sense to me to really run with email as a channel seeing how powerful it worked for them and helping e-commerce brands to become more profitable and like I said reduce that dependency on paid ad spend and that led to the creation of Magnet Monster and it were about a year and a half into the journey to date and really enjoying helping everyone that we work with achieve those goals. Sounds great. Yeah. I mean, you know, email marketing is, uh, it's so important and it's, it's still so important as well, but we'll, we'll get onto that in a bit. Um, what was the standard day look like for you? So generally when, well, when we first started the standard day, I suppose looked like any startup business, it was trying everything and, trying to make something stick and to figure out the positioning of the company. Um, these days we're a lot more refined, so we have stable clients. Uh, we know exactly who we want to work with. 
Um, I'm quite a hands-on business owner, so I like to have a very personal relationship with the clients and not to say we're a, a massive agency, we're definitely boutique and we plan to stay that way, um, especially in the current environment. So generally speaking, the mornings are more client management, business stuff for me, communicating with the people that we're working with. And then in the afternoons, I try to focus on more of the business development around the company. So our own internal marketing, content creation, and obviously sales as well, which is the lifeblood of any business. So I'm still heavily involved in the sales, but I would say it's more about giving the sales people on our team marketing resources to help push that channel. Yeah, so I guess using a bit of your expertise to to help the marketing, well, help the sales team actually uh, approach people with, I guess, and push content out there. Yeah. And one thing actually I've learned since, since having an agency as well is that there's, there's a very clear distinction between sales and marketing. So I consider myself a very good marketer, but I'm, I'm not a great salesperson. So even though I'm, it's a strong point of my building relationships, it's easy to misconstrue that that means you're good at sales it doesn't i think it takes a very specific skill set to be good at sales and being able to take a step back and um get the right people into focus on the sales has been important for us and yeah for for me it's i try to focus more on making sure they're supported in terms of the marketing materials so you'll have probably seen we're very active on linkedin we're always investing in content marketing um blogs, social media posts, graphics, constant education and nurturing our audience and to ensure that when it does come to the sales that we don't have to justify what we do. We have people who are generally wanting to work with us. So that helps a lot in that aspect. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Do you you find uh, any particular content works well? So we try and do a lot of interviews um there's a couple of reasons for this one is that i think it makes better quality content speaking to business owners the second is it builds relationships which organically leads to more sales related conversations so we try to interview we you've seen we do a weekly e-commerce inside the blog and that's not because we want to sell to those people even though they are our target clientele but it's also because everyone loves to create content. You build valuable relationships and the people that we interview share it with their audience as well. So it helps us tap into their networks in addition to promoting their business, putting them on the spotlight. I would say definitely that's been the most effective for us. Apart from that, I would say just having a good variety of content and knowing that you, what your customers' pain points are is key to to driving sales and pushing your business message further so just turning up every day and being consistent with the the messaging that you're trying to get across is crucial and i think it's it's very underrated the um just the the habit of turning up every day and making content like i said yeah i absolutely agree with you um but obviously we're not we're not here to talk about you know sales and content marketing um we're here to talk about behavior email so do you want to tell us a bit about that generally? Yep, sure. So behavioral email marketing generally refers to email that's triggered by behavior. 
So I'm, I'm not talking necessarily about mass email blasts to your email database. What I mean when I say behavioral email marketing, it's taking um, the cues in people's behavior when they're browsing your website. Obviously, this is specifically related to e-commerce, the examples I'm going to give you, and triggering email automation that helps drive sales and builds a positive customer experience. So I'll give you a few examples of this, of behavioral email marketing. The most obvious one would be somebody shopping on your website, they add items to the cart, they go to the checkout, and then life just gets in the way. Maybe your checkout process is inefficient, the website's slow, or something just happens that distracts their attention and they forget to complete the sale. So this would trigger what you would call a cart abandonment email sequence. And the goal of these emails is to remind people that they have products in the shopping baskets and to come back and complete the sale. So that's probably the most obvious behavioral email automation um, pertinent to e-commerce. Another example is somebody buys from you for the first time, so they would go through the post-purchase email sequence, which will obviously welcome them to your company. You'll try and drive upsells to increase the customer lifetime value and then migrate them onto social channels. So it's generally taking advantage of uh, customer trigger events on your website and using them to create positive experiences via email automation. And this has the benefit of alleviating pressure on you to go out and market directly to people, which can be labor intensive and doing it on autopilot. So it's driving revenue and freeing up your time simultaneously, which is very powerful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I saw a stat saying the conversion rate for a, a cart abandonment email is about it's roughly 15 to 20%. So if you've got huge numbers of people putting products in baskets and then leaving the site, if you've got a decent cart abandonment flow set up, you get a huge amount of revenue um, just uh, you know on autopilot, like you say. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, it's sad that how many people and neglect this area because as you said 15 to 20 percent is definitely on the higher end but even if 70 percent of people abandon the course on your website which is sort of a generalized figure just think how much revenue you're leaving on the table if you could salvage 10 percent of those people who abandon the course so this is we're sometimes talking about tens of thousands even hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars per year for a lot of brands and you really can't afford to not have something like this set up, especially if you're in e-commerce. Yeah, and especially when uh, you know times get tough. You know, you, you know, we get seasonal changes. Um, you know, anything could pop up. You know, we've, we're dealing with kind of dealing with Brexit. I don't really know what's happening with it right now, but you know, things happen that affect uh, affect your marketing, affect your stores, and whatever. So, if you've got these sequences set up, it's just driving you that extra revenue that could keep you going. Absolutely, yeah. And, in, and I suppose now is an, an obvious example of that. So you have the coronavirus crisis. And generally speaking, the thing that gets first slashed for any company, I suppose, is the marketing or it comes under scrutiny. Now, you want to um, free up the labor-intensive stuff, I suppose, and, and focus on what drives an ROI. And the beauty of email automation is that this works on autopilot. So you're not going to just 
uh, cancel these email automations and destroy the sequences. They're going to work to your advantage where you're trying to stay lean and more profitable, which is a theme obviously we'll come back to a lot with email throughout the course of this interview. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I saw some stats earlier today, actually, um, that actually show that, yeah, ad spend is reducing. So CPCs are reducing, um, but actual searches and spend on e-commerce, e-commerce is increasing in a lot of categories by significant amounts. So ROI is increasing. So actually, you know, obviously there'll be some businesses that are really badly affected and, and they're in those industries, you know, like travel, for example, where they're going to really struggle to sell. But there are other industries where, yeah, all right, you, have, you might panic initially if you've got closed stores and things. But there's definitely opportunity out there. You know, if you keep spending and then, you know, you keep driving people to your site, keep getting people adding products to baskets. And then, yeah, you've got these autopilot sequences that will just keep revenue coming in. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I do a lot of email marketing as well. Um, so, yeah, I love, you know, I, I, I get lots of sequences set up on autopilot because. Well, like we've just said, it just drives money on autopilot. Do you really do you look into um, more longer term, I guess, retention pieces with databases where you're using you're using past consumer behavior to segment lists for campaigns, or, or do you do you guys specifically specialize in the actual triggered automation? Yeah. So just to give you a, a brief insights into our business model most of the time when we go into work with a company we we've prioritized the email automation definitely and that's because we want to give the power back to the, the clients and leave them with a tangible product that there's no dependency on us probably a bit counterintuitive i suppose if you are an agency where you want to monthly retain a contract uh, however we do set the email automation up and then this is not to understate the importance of general sales promotion or email campaigns. These drive a lot of revenue as well, but we will always prioritize setting up the initial email automation. And then generally we work with people on a monthly basis for managed campaigns where we'll help strategize with them, create the creative elements to drive revenue even further. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate I, I didn't give you any advance notice of this question. So, um, but given how GDPR came in, yeah, well, almost two years ago actually now. Wow, it's a long time. Um, how do you do you think GDPR has impacted these automated sequences much? And you know, with things like basket abandonment, and, and we'll talk about post purchase and things a bit later. But some people consider those sort of emails to actually be marketing. You know, if you, if you send someone an email which says, uh, here's, here's your receipt, these are the products you bought, by the way, you might want to consider this as well. You know, let's say someone's bought a printer, um, but they haven't bought ink. You could say, well, did, did you need to buy ink as well? Some people consider that marketing. And if you haven't got yeah. permission in place, you know, so personally, I don't. I think those sort of emails you can get away with as long as you're not sending six different emails about can't abandon them. But yeah, what's, what's your opinion on that? And obviously it's not legal advice, but, um, yeah, <laughs> no, I definitely don't want to step into that territory, but it's an excellent question. And I think just to touch on that one of, especially with the, the UK clients that we were or EU clients that we work with, um, it's definitely one of the most foremost concerns that people 
uh, will bring up when they speak to us. I think it's very important to make sure, obviously, that you do have consent to send these messages and just being as transparent as possible with your consumer base. So giving them very clear options to opt out, ensuring that you can send them the data if they request it. And obviously honoring any um, type of unsubscribe that you get. So you're trying to always be as consumer focused as possible. And I think generally speaking, if you're able to adhere to any request from customer and be transparent with them, then you're earing on the sides of caution and you should be okay with your marketing. Yeah, I think I agree. If, if you're doing it for the right reason and only to a certain level, you should be fine. If you're taking it as the opportunity to try and push a completely different category of products on someone, that's where you're, you're probably getting into a bit of a gray area. Of course, yeah. It's all about consent at the end of the day. If someone's consented to receive the marketing messages, then it's okay. And obviously, when someone wants to stop the marketing messages, then you need to honor that request. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you, do you think, I mean, we always hear the, uh, the the comment that email marketing is dead, but what other email you know, myths and misconceptions do you, do you see around email marketing or, or behavioral email specifically? Yeah. So, yeah, I think definitely to touch on the email marketing is dead one, that's probably the biggest misconception. I'm not sure where this myth comes from. Maybe it's because email has been the longest standing um, digital marketing channel there is, to my knowledge anyway. Um, Maybe it's not as sexy. It's not flavor of the day anymore compared to other channels. However, uh, when we look into the ROI, to my knowledge, email still has the ROI per pound or dollar spent. Um, it still has the best organic open rates, reach, uh, click-through rates, so many key metrics to a marketer in driving ROI. Email still wins. So where the misconception it's dead comes from, I'm not sure, but it's definitely inaccurate. In fact, I've said this multiple times, email is more relevant than ever, especially when you think of the coronavirus situation that we're in now. Where's, where are all the brands and the CEOs of the company turning to to communicate with their customers? I had an email from the Sainsbury's CEO this morning. I'm sure it's the same for everyone else. The inbox is packed with messages pertinent to the coronavirus situation. So it's funny how people still think it's dead, but they turn to email when they need to get the most important conversations and messages from brands. And I think having that medium where you have the one-to-one personal conversation in somebody's inbox is just unparalleled for me and that's why i love it so much yeah definitely um i, I guess yeah like you say with with email being being such an old channel i wonder if yeah maybe this is coming from people who are, are trying to push more modern channels uh, a bit more so focusing on i don't know like trying to get whatsapp messaging going as yeah. a business thing or you know tiktok snapchat that sort of thing or whether it's people who did email years and years ago and saw their performance dropping because they weren't keeping up with modern ways of doing things. So they weren't you know, verifying email addresses. They weren't segmenting email lists. They were just blasting out you know, a million emails every week to the same list, seeing their performance drop. And so they're the people going, you know, I had 20 years of experience in, mar- in email. 
probably not 20, well, yeah, it could do, uh, 20, 20 years in email. And uh, I've seen performance drop every year for the last 10 years. It's dead, I'm done with it. Yeah. And there's yeah. people like you and me are going, well, I'm still doing it. And I'm getting decent open rates, decent click-through rates, and, and a fantastic ROI from it because it costs you almost nothing to send. Exactly, yeah. Just to touch on that as well, Will, I think it's an important point. Um, as you said about young people using Snapchat, TikTok, and things like this, and this is not to understate the importance of of tapping into those mediums because I think like you, it, it's obvious that young people do communicate heavily on those platforms. But again, I come back to the important information that you receive from brands and people in general. Where do you go to for payment receipts? Where do you go to for news during the coronavirus crisis? Where do you turn to for job interview updates? People are still using email as a medium to communicate the most important information. So even um, though, again, people say to me, oh, I my daughter has 13,000 messages in her inbox that are unread yeah but did she open the job interview or the payment receipt emails you know this this people will still open the message if it's personal and relatable to the information that they're looking for so it's about having a consistent brand message that sticks out and obviously that resonates with people so they want to open your emails of course people are going to ignore spammy emails that aren't relevant to them but if the quality of your content is powerful, then people will definitely open your emails and engage with them. Yeah. And I think actually this, this kind of brings us onto a, a, a point I think we would probably discuss a bit later, but it's an owned channel, isn't it? You know, people, you as a business own that, but also the customer owns it. So that, and they're the only people who can take that permission away from you. Things like Facebook where you know, Facebook, I'm not going to say Facebook's dead as, as a marketing channel. It's absolutely not, but I, I don't use it nearly as much as I used to. I see so many ads on there that yeah. it's it's almost more of a an advertising and product channel for me than yeah. than anything else. I use I use WhatsApp mostly to keep in touch with people. So I wonder yeah. if you know th- these new channels like Snapchat, TikTok, and all that are there for much more social purposes. Yeah, but yeah, like you say, people always come back to email because that's where they keep their important. Uh, you know, the important emails, that's where they, they want to get their job interview updates and, and email receipts exactly. and all that stuff. It's, it's, it really is unparalleled. I think when you put it into that context as well, for me, the social channels, whilst obviously important and not to understate how effective they can be, they're quite transient by nature. So if you're looking for a safe marketing channel to invest in, then email is very robust. And as we've said several times already, it stood the test of time. So if you're looking for long-term ROI in terms of uh, stability and a solid investment, then for me, again, email is unparalleled at this moment in time. Yeah, exactly. You know, you might have a a monthly cost for your email tool, but once you've got those emails, your your cost of sending to those people is is tiny. Whereas if you wanted to, to get all those people purchasing through Facebook ads, you might pay, you know, even if you get it down to like one or two pounds per person because it's people who have purchased from you before, that's still, I don't know what, 20 times more expensive than email, probably more. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll come back to this point, I think, later on. But generally speaking, I'm constantly reiterating this message that 
long term, you want to migrate people from any platform or advertising medium where you have to pay to reach people to your most profitable channels. And that's what I suppose is called your owns channels, email, uh, push notifications, and trying to control the experience directly rather than, like you said, having to pay Facebook or Google to reach out to a customer that you've already worked so hard to acquire. So that's um, it's difficult to stay profitable as a business whilst you always have to do that as you go to um, way of communicating with your customers. And obviously, emails, ROI, we've discussed it already. And ability to do that is great. Yeah, uh, definitely. So we talked about how important uh, behavioural email is and how you know an owned channel like email is. Um, so what are what are some suggestions you'd make for businesses that are um, maybe looking into setting up behavioural and automated uh, communications, or or maybe even do it at the moment, but but have it as a basic uh, a yep. basic setup. So for me, it's when we usually work with someone we have a series of automations or flows depending on how you want to call it that always are generally applicable to all the e-commerce businesses but there's three that stand out in particular this is the welcome series so when people subscribe to your brand for the first time via a newsletter or some type of discount incentive or competition giveaway Generally speaking, you know, the, the pop-up that comes when you go to exit the website or you've spent a long time on a website, you want to drive these people into a welcome series automation of emails. So you want to incentivize a first purchase. You want to share customer success stories. You want to tell them about your brand ethics, your brand story, and yeah, give people testimonials and social proof to really welcome them to your brand and incentivize that first purchase. So that, for me, is always the most important email automation of all because not only does it drive a sale, but it, it puts your brand in the forefront of their minds and tells them the values as well, which are most important to you. After that, you will have the court abandonment, like we've already discussed. It's a crucial revenue driver. And the post-purchase email automation. So... What type of experience do you want your customer to have the first time they buy from you? You want to be sending them a series of emails over the course of the next month or even two months, depending on the nature of the product. Trying to drive a repeat purchase, incentivize reviews, user-generated content, and make someone feel welcome so there's no buyer's remorse. So when they buy from you for the first time, that they feel as though they've made the right decision and that you've consolidated the relationship with them. So even though email is very important for automating the sales, which we've talked about as well, I do come back to that core message where this is not just to drive sales, this is to consolidate your relationship with the client. You can definitely deliver email content to people. It's not all just about trying to make more money. Yeah, actually on that, that last point just then, that's a really valid point actually. I think... A lot of businesses will basically just add you to add you to their database and start sending you promotional emails. And if they are going to ask you about your purchase, it's generally in the form of a Trustpilot or FIFO link email saying, "Please, please rate your experience." When actually, really, that first email should be, "Tell us what your experience was like." 
like, did you have any problems? Re you know, reply to this email or phone our customer service line. Um, let us know about it. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of companies miss that out and just assume that people will get in touch if they've got a problem. Um, when actually, I think there's a stat which is I think it's one for every one person that contacts you with a problem or, or is unhappy. There's about twenty to twenty five people who just kind of stay quiet stay unhappy and, and probably won't come back and purchase from you again. Yeah. Nurturing comes in and it's very effective because like you said, you want to get those who have the positive experiences to share those as well. And you can definitely, uh, if you're delivering valuable content and again, like, this is a message I constantly reiterate to all clients. It's not, even though email is obviously a powerful channel for selling you need to look at the customer lifetime value. And the only way you can get someone to stay on an email list for you know, one, two, two or three years is by giving them valuable content. So don't just try and sell for today. Think about how many opportunities you'll have to sell to them in the future. And the way you do that is by constantly delivering high value. Yeah, I completely agree, agree with you on that as well, um, which kind of leads us on to the next point, which is, um, how do you see segmentation and personalization working within behavioral email? Um, and I'm not talking behavior, you know, personalization, like getting first name and things in there, you know, yeah. as I'm sure you're aware, it's about personalizing products and things. Um, but I'll, yeah, hand that over to you. Yeah. So I think, um, from a segmentation standpoint, when it comes to the initial behavioral email automation, it, it can be quite difficult unless you're, just working off your basic buyers versus non-buyers, um, predictive gender, if the email service provider has that capabilities, um, level of visitation to your website. So these are the basic segments that you can create from a first-time visitor or maybe someone who's bought. Um, generally speaking, I always say when it comes to segmentation strategies and email as a whole, um, it's not so cookie cutter. It really depends on the brand itself and the customer avatar. So as an example, if you sell sports nutrition products, you might have various segments of customers, some who are wanting to burn fat, some who are wanting to build muscle, some who are an endurance athlete. And that's again, where you need to be constantly collecting data to provide better user experiences with your behavioral email automations. So I think it's it's quite a difficult question to answer because it's highly dependent on the brand and the company um, positioning itself rather than giving a, a cookie-cutter overview of how segmentation works unless we're talking specifically about buyers versus non-buyers, um, gender, um, those obviously the top basic um, things that you can segment people into. So you really need to know your customer base. That's my overriding message with this. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, I guess it's it's a case of segment if you can and it makes sense, but don't, I guess, don't segment just for the sake of it. Yeah, and it's important to note as well that if you do have an effective segmentation strategy, then this will it'll move the needle on all the metrics so as an example, if you sell, say, for example, you're ASOS or Nike or ASOS, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but anyway, <laughs> you're not going to send emails of men's clothing to women who buy women's clothing. 
So you need to definitely take know your customer and, and include some key segments based on previous buying um, products and things like this. And obviously, if you're just sending one generalized message to everyone, then you, you're going to have a high unsubscribe rate, you're going to have a poor open rate, poor click-through rates, and you're not going to be able to increase customer lifetime value effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I think I get I get so many emails which are just, uh, why don't you check out the latest products in this category, this category, this category? I'm like, yeah. Well, that's, that's completely irrelevant to me, isn't it? Um, it's such a statical approach, it really is, and I don't think it's taken with longevity in mind, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as a marketer, though, and someone who does a lot in email, the thing that frustrates me more is actually when someone has taken the opportunity to to personalize to me, but they've actually got it wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and one, one thing stands out, one example stands out, which was uh, actually Amazon. Um, I'm not a big fan of what they do with email, to be honest. But um, uh, I, I, ran a, I ran a company called Sport Drafter a few years ago, and uh, one of our competitions, we gave out a console to the winner, and you yeah. had the choice of a PlayStation or an Xbox. Now, the, the person who won picked a PlayStation, and so I ordered it from Amazon. Um, but, but previously, I'd ordered an Xbox, and since then, all my purchases have been Xbox games. And yet, yeah. for at least a couple of years, all the personalization around consoles and games was PlayStation. Mm. And yeah. I just, I, I get, you know, I kind of get what they're doing. You know, they're trying to personalize to me and say, here's the latest PlayStation games or whatever. But also you'd look at the data and you'd say, well, there's, there's one PlayStation purchase there. So yeah. have a think about this a bit more. And, uh, and, you know, you could be sending out more relevant uh, emails. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think that that's just to touch on that. That's why you need dynamic segments set up as well. So you wouldn't, I'm assuming that some type of malfunction in the, the AI capabilities but generally speaking, you wouldn't want to, um, as you said, if you're buying Xbox games, then why would you send someone um, completely irrelevant product recommendations? So it seems to me as though like the maybe the, the data feeds are not working or they're not in sync with the, the email software that they're using. But yeah, I can I can completely see what you, you're saying. That type of personalization turns you off. So there's definitely a fine point of how much personalization to, to use and tie it into the segmentation. It's a very di- difficult topic to get right, to be fair, to our brands. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, which actually, so this brings us on to the, the next topic, which is what are the big or big and most common mistakes that you see in email strategies? <laughs> this is an obvious one that, that stands out straight away. And that's mass mailing your database because you you sit there, you see you've got a million subscribers and you go, well, you know, if I send enough emails to enough people, someone will buy it and buy my products or services. And yeah, they will, but over time, it'll just be a case of diminishing returns because your open rates are going to plummet, your unsubscribe rates is going to go through the roof. And generally speaking, people are just not going to engage with your brand at all. So like you said, it ties into the previous question of segmenting and sending the right emails to the right people. So I would definitely say mass mailing your customer database is the worst mistake most people we work with um, have done previously. 
And also, interestingly, that affects your future deliverability. So you're more likely to get categorized and your inbox placement will end up in the spam folders or Gmail and Outlook and all these other um, service providers. So it's, it's, it's not just a buzzword segmentation. It's crucial to maximizing the customer lifetime value. And the only way to do that is by having a strategic overview and sending the right information to the right people. Um, another one, I, I, again, I've touched on it previously, is selling incessantly without providing valuable content. So I like to use the analogy of using email as a social channel, and I think it's, it's very underrated in this regard. So whilst people will produce, say, for example, recipes and style trends and things like this on social media, they're not delivering that content through to social. And I have no idea why, because given how powerful the organic open rates are, the reaches, why would you not want to share this via email? And a lot of the things I hear from brand owners is, oh, we feel as though we're annoying the customers, which is probably the strangest um, constantly recurring theme that comes up when I ask people this. But it's actually counterintuitive because, as I said, you want people to stay subscribed and engage with your brands as long as possible. And the only way you can do that is by giving them highly valuable content. And also remember, if that traffic comes back through to your website, they're more likely to browse your products and your store anyway. So it's a win-win in that regard. You're not just enriching their lives with valuable content. You're also bringing traffic through, which will subliminally sell to people as well, I suppose. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, you shouldn't just be using email as uh, a way of putting products in front of people. If yeah, you, yeah, it's it's uh, it's still an engagement and a relationship channel, isn't it? Absolutely. If you're trying to engage people on social media, why? And it's you know, if you think it's valuable enough to post on social media, which you know is is partly there to to engage with your current customers, but partly also there to actually uh, get get that additional reach and and reach other people if you think it's good enough for that why isn't it good enough for your email which are actually yeah. your your valuable customers yeah i'm not sure to be honest well i thought about this myself a lot of times and it, again it's it's just confusing to me but again it's um a lack of education i suppose unfortunately and how the medium can be used to communicate with customers but hopefully uh, we'll start to see a reverse trend in that sense I mean, I guess that, you know, there are still differences in the way people use it. I mean, you know, if, if you post something on Instagram, if it appears in my feed and it's not interesting to me, I can just very quickly scroll past it. Yes. Whereas I've taken a much more high intent action by clicking the email. And if then that email, if I feel it's yeah. been a waste of my time, maybe I'm a bit more likely to unsubscribe. Um, yeah. But I think generally, unless your emails are really bad, unsubscribe rates are pretty low. Yeah, you touch on a very important point there, but my, I suppose, rebuttal to that would be if you think people are going to unsubscribe from your content, then you shouldn't be sending it out in the first place. It's not valuable content. So if the quality of the content is high, I would not have any hesitation to send that content to a certain segment of subscribers, especially if I know it's going to fortify and you know consolidate my brand's message that I'm trying to get across. Yeah, that's no, a fair point. Fair point. What's going to happen with email over the next, say, twelve to eighteen months? Uh, do, you, do you see any 
new trends coming or just big trends over the over the coming months? So I think probably the most most prevalent one, which is no secret by now, is that the need to optimize for mobile is more relevant than ever. The amount of people who are using mobiles to make shopping purchases for e-commerce and read emails is continuing to go on an upward, upward trajectory. So optimizing emails for mobile-specific devices as well as desktop is very important because there is still that cross-channel usage. Um, again, coming back to the previous point of leading with valuable content, so not just trying to sell, but using email as a medium to push out high-quality content will become more prevalent, I feel, in the next coming months, especially, again, given how relevant it is at this moment in time with the coronavirus stuff going on. I think you're going to see more brands tap into email to communicate with the customers in a more personal way. And One of the interesting things I want to mention that we've been using to um, good success at Magnet Monster with clients is using GIFs or GIFs, depending on how you pronounce it. It's GIFs. GIFs Absolutely or... GIFs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say because I spoke to someone previously, actually, a few months ago, and I was looking into how to pronounce uh, GIFs, GIFs, and, and they said there was basically no um, consensus on what tried. But anyway, but yeah, using... Um, these two drive click-through rates has been very effective for us. So as long as the file size isn't too big and obviously it renders correctly in the inbox that you're sending it, then this can be a great way to drive traffic back to your website and present products in a more efficient way, I suppose, because you're not having to scroll down to see every single product on the screen and you get a really engaging graphic straight away that initiates this click-through. So highly recommend if you're trying to send traffic back to your website to initiate purchase or just read content, then this is a very powerful technique that you can use. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's like you said, it's a good way of showing off products, but actually kind of coming back to the point you made about mobile focus campaigns. Um, I don't think it's, it's not simply a case of making an email responsive um, for mobile. I think you need to take into account the device itself and how people interact with an email and actually so instead of having a you know five to ten products just listed out in an email in you know little little cards that people can scroll through a a gif is a great way of quickly showing off all those products people can click through to a page that then has them all on and then they can see more information exactly yeah and i suppose this is one of your fortes as well it's the um that, that customer user experience. So as you said, rather than presenting these and having to scroll down constantly to see what you want, you get a quick, more efficient overview because as we know, people's attention spans are decreasing and they're spending more time but less on each marketing message. So being able to produce things in the most efficient and engaging manner possible is always a, a recommended strategy. I know it's, it, I, I asked the question was specifically about email, but um, if we go back to kind of behavioral uh, sequences and communications, um, yeah. one thing, you know, obviously push notifications you have to have an app for, but what about things like SMS and maybe even like direct mail? Um, yeah. How do you see that fitting in with 
with kind of sequences and behavioral like triggered uh, communications. One thing that's interesting with, especially going back to push notifications and SMS in particular, is a lot of the email service providers are starting to amalgamate them into the services and just bake them in. So you're able to leverage these directly from the conventional email platform, I suppose, Clavio being the most obvious example, which we work very closely with. And yeah, I think that, again, that's my philosophy as a business owner myself. And uh, what I try to advise clients is if you want to bring your marketing costs down and not just for customer acquisition, but for retention, you should always look to the most profitable channels that allow you to communicate for low cost with your customers and push notifications, email and SMS, depending on which country you are from, because I know there is some variance. They're all very well engaged with channels and I think they're going to continue to grow in popularity over the coming months and years. And I'm not saying Instagram and Facebook ads are going to die anytime soon. However, I do think there's a conscious shift in terms of dependency on them that e-commerce owners are looking at now because the only real winners with Facebook and Google um, collecting this advertising spend is them. And with the cost of acquisition constantly going up, then you need to look at ways to become more efficient with your marketing spend. And again, these own channels give you the best chance of success in doing so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think they they all have their place in the mix. You know, it's it's still great to use uh, like Facebook retargeting ads, even yeah. to your own audience. Um, and I've had amazing success with SMS. Really love it as a channel. But the, I think the important thing to realize is you, you can't treat each channel the same. So if you want yeah. to send an email every week to your database, like I probably wouldn't with an SMS. It depends on your business, obviously, but just be a bit more careful because the open rates are extremely high um, yeah. and click-through rates are fantastic. But, and it's because most people get that notification on their phone immediately. And so they're highly likely to check, check it out. But if, yeah. you, if you abuse that and just send, you know, again, like generic mass mailer kind of uh, SMS blasts out, uh, you'll, you'll lose that permission. And then uh, when you have got something really important to say, or if you've got some really, a really good personalized offer, um, you've yeah. lost a really powerful channel to send that out through. Yeah, completely agree with you, Will. And I think it goes back again to the message of uh, not only do you need that omni-channel approach, but you need to be focusing on the messaging that you're delivering. So it can't always self-related. It has to be leading with volume. And, you know, I, I understand more than anyone that you need to drive sales. We all do. And these channels can give you a great way to, to achieve that. But again, look at customer lifetime value. You want to be looking at things long term. And the best way to do that is by keeping people engaged on these platforms for the longest periods possible. So we haven't got long left. So it's a question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Um, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Um, it can be email specific or just generally um, there are any pet peeves out there, you know, user experiences or anything. Yeah. yeah, again, I think going back to the message that we've talked about a few times in this this interview, the, um, the notion that email is dead and obviously the relentless need for brands to sell at every opportunity really does um, – 
get on the wrong sides of me. Uh, not not email us dads. I'm fine with people believing that myth because obviously that leaves more business for me. But <laughs> yeah, the, the, need, the need to constantly sell is definitely the fastest way, I think, personally, for me to get me to unsubscribe. And the best way, um, and I think, again, if this is relatable to a lot of people these days, to keep me engaged is to constantly keep me educated um, to deliver great quality content and use this omni-channel approach. Again, it's not all about email. Um, it's leveraging each channel, as you said, uh, in their own unique way. But again, leading with value, leading with education, getting me to buy into your ethics and positioning as a company is the best way to increase customer lifetime value over a period of time. Um, pet peeves, I suppose, Again, I'm really passionate about helping businesses become more profitable. So I I know Google and Instagram and Facebook are very important channels, but I would like to see more people consciously trying to become less dependent on them because ultimately it's going to be difficult to stay profitable if that's that's your only source of revenue as a marketing channel. So um, people thinking they're the be-all and end-all because obviously they, they've been great the last few years does annoy me. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just one thought on your uh, on the email situation. I think what people need to realise though is, like you say, it can't be selling at every opportunity. But when when people like you say, you know, you need to build those relationships, send valuable content, it, it, I don't think it has to be, you know, in the exact opposite of what people were doing before. They don't have to switch off the sales emails and go for entirely content. They can mix it up, but there Absolutely. needs to be that element of providing a bit of value and, and, and kind of, you know, treating the customer as, I guess, I, I think I said it in another, another podcast, but treating them as a friend of the brand, basically someone you want to have a bit of a conversation with and engage with, not just by the way, here's the latest product. Can you buy it? Yeah, but equally, you are allowed to do that. You know, they know you're a business. Oh yeah. You know, if if you put products in them, specific and particularly personalized products, um, pe- people will will be happy with that, and they'll and they'll either buy or they won't buy because they don't need it. But they're not going to go. Oh, I really hated that email. It was so annoying. And unsubscribe. Exactly, and there's there's definitely a science to this as well. And I think just if you take a common sense top-down view of things. It, let's say you send um, emails over the course of a month for a week. Now, if you send five sales-related emails, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the likelihood is not only am I not going to buy, but I'm also going to unsubscribe. Now, if you spread those five sales-related emails over the course of a month and then intersperse them with a content-related email as well, so you can double your email frequency build a better relationship with me and increase my likelihood of buying. For me, that's just common sense and logical. So it's about um, pacing yourself. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And again, keep coming back to customer lifetime value. That's what matters. Take the long-term view all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And final question. uh, Is there a particular marketing channel or tactic that you'd want to kill off because you hate it or... (laughs) and again i think and i I know i've sort of bashed instagram and facebook and google but these are fantastic channels there's no doubt about it like they're 
it became an imperative part of the game for driving initial acquisition. Um, I think the great channels, again, I, I just want to people to consciously move away from the dependency on them because they're very expensive to tap into every time you need to drive a sale. But in terms of particular marketing channels, I think everything has its merits. Um, I don't want to say nothing works completely. I suppose, personally speaking, I just hate it when I get cold emails on LinkedIn. Can we schedule a 30-minute call? like we've talked about already and then they go into a whole essay of 6,000 links on the services. I think this is the worst way to sell um, because maybe it works in one in a thousand people, but you've destroyed a potential relationship with 999 others. And I think I've made it clear by now that I'm all about building relationships and taking a long-term view to any type of brand strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I've, I've had some pretty, pretty awful ones. I think I shared with you one with you the other day, um, <laughs> someone trying to sell me something that they used a load of terms that didn't make any sense to me. Didn't provide a link, didn't provide a media deck. Um, this was the first email since connecting and then signed it off with anyways, thanks for connecting. Uh, and that was <laughs> it. And you kind of like blasted me with a sales email and then you've ended it with like just a, a, a kind of almost a, a nice friendly friendly ending and uh yeah just yeah Yeah, to me that's again i don't want to bash these people too hard because i think it's miseducation and not knowing how to use things properly um but anytime you go into especially i think the way the world is now with a me 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 attitudes bye 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 then you're going to lose people eventually and People want stuff that will benefit them. So for my marketing philosophy is, is turning the tables on its head in that sense. It's what can I do for you because you're more likely to reciprocate for me at a later stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that's all we've got time for. Um, so thanks so much, Adam. Uh, it's been really, really fascinating stuff about, uh, about email marketing. It's a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on and I look forward to speaking more. Really valuable stuff there from Adam. If it wasn't before, it should now be pretty clear that email marketing is absolutely vital for your business, but it's often one of the most neglected channels available. Email marketing absolutely isn't dead. Uh, And even the idea that youngsters uh, don't use it or that automation is annoying are are wrong as well. What's important is how you do it and how you execute it. If you segment your lists, uh, provide value to your customers, whether that's recommended or personalized products uh, or other content that provides information or some other value, and don't just email for the sake of it, you'll see huge returns from email marketing and can build a large base of valuable customers. That's it from me today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. And as usual, if you have any questions about email or behavioral email, uh, send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. In the next episode of Customers Who Click, I'll be speaking with Tristan Burns, the analytics lead at Pizza Hut Digital Ventures, all about conversion rate optimization. Have a great week, and until next time, keep those customers clicking.